This week on Myths and Legends, it's a French fairy tale. We'll see that if, to be good, you need jewelry to stab you, you probably have a long road ahead. The creature this week is an unfortunate recipient of Zeus and Hera's punishment, who apparently has gone on to have a thriving movie and music career. This is Myths and Legends, episode 352, The Darling Formerly Known as Prince. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. The story this week is from 18th century France, before things got bad in 18th century France. The story is by Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont. We'll talk more about her and her history at the end, but we will jump in with the king who's just back from a hunt with a surprise. I got a rabbit, the king declared when he came back home. You mean you killed a rabbit? The advisor asked. No, why would I do that? The king looked with disgust. Well, I mean, you were out hunting, so why wouldn't you? You know what? Let's start over. A rabbit? OMG! What a fun pet! I love that for you! The advisor clapped his hands. The king, while out on his hunt, took pity on a little white rabbit, scooping it up before his hounds turned it into a chew toy and said he would make sure nobody heard it, despite being out on a hunt, where the sole purpose was to, you know, kill animals. The king contained multitudes. Anyway... Now he had a pet rabbit. He let the creature go free, but it hopped along following his feet. This, of course, could only mean one thing. Fun rabbit house with tiny rabbit furniture and a rabbit buffet and yeah, really. The king made an afternoon out of it. His kingdom was at peace and his wife had died a few years ago. His son was at school, so the rabbit was a nice distraction. It was a confusing distraction though, when that night, after he said goodnight to the bunny, there was a beautiful woman standing next to his rabbit house, the house with a tasteful outside entertaining area contractors would get to work on the next day. I am the fairy truth, the fairy declared. She had heard about Good King, and yeah, that's his name in the story. The Good King, it's, it's a subtle one. Anyway, she darted past him in the form of a rabbit in need, and he saved her, proving his good heart. Now, thanks to his kindness, he could have one thing that his good heart desired. The king rocked back and forth on the bed. Well, he only had one thing left in this world that he cared about. His son, Prince Darling. The very truth said, wait, was his name Prince Darling? She flipped through her notes. They didn't mention that one. That's a, that's a bad name. Anyway, sure, selfless choice was on brand for good king. What did he want? Did he want Prince Darling to be the handsomest prince in the world? The richest? Most powerful? No wrong answers here. Jump in any time. This was his wish. What are any of those things if he's not a good man? You can be attractive, rich, and powerful, but if you're not a good person, you'll forever be unhappy. Only a good person can be truly contented, the king said. He had learned this lesson slowly over the course of his life, and he wanted to spare his son the same growth. The fairy truth inhaled sharply. Yeah, that was actually beyond her ability. The good king said, wait, she could give the kid six-pack abs, a Scrooge McDuck vault, and an empire, 
but she couldn't make him a good person? Yeah, basically, Fairy Truth said. He could believe her because, you know, the name. They briefly reached an impasse because the good king only wanted for his son to become a good person. That was it. He tried to raise the boy with humility, had him work and treat others with respect, but his wife's death made him realize that life was fragile, fleeting. If he died tomorrow, his boy would be thrust into a world of wealth, power, and endless sycophants willing to gratify any desire for his favor. He had to help his boy. The fairy truth said that was, that was admirable. Okay, she couldn't make him into a good person, but she could help. But he had to do the work. She would be happy to step in and help Prince Darling grow into a good man, but really, it was up to him. The king smiled. That was all he could ask. And it was like a weight being lifted from good king. He wasn't sick, but he was tired. He missed his wife, and he had spent his life ensuring peace and stability for his people. Mere weeks after rescuing the rabbit and speaking with fairy truth, he died, quietly, in his sleep. Two days later, the fairy truth found Prince Darling mourning his father. She didn't come in the form of a rabbit or try to trick him. She was fulfilling a promise to a good man. Fairy Truth explained everything the father had asked of her, for Prince Darling, and Prince Darling actually wanted to honor his father's memory and his desires for the prince's life. So, Fairy Truth extended the ring. As Prince Darling inspected the ring, in the flickering candlelight, it looked like a gold ring. Fairy Truth said that being a good person was work. Humans wanted to take the easy path through life. They wanted to be greedy and hoard. They wanted to shirk obligations and oaths and then, when they were discovered, lie. Instead of controlling themselves, they would lash out in anger or submerge in lust and gluttony. All these things snuck up on people. One compromise led to another until you look in the mirror and you don't recognize yourself. Fairy truth pointed to the ring. That ring was a compass, a watermark that would tell him when he was straying too far. With pain, it would, it would prick him. Prince Darling looked at the ring. Huh. But okay, what about like ethical conundrums? Like what about the trolley problem? Fairy Truth rolled her eyes. Prince Darling continued, you know the thing where you're standing by a switch, five people will be run over by a trolley and killed if you do nothing, but the switch will divert the trolley to a separate track Will it will kill one person. Which one do you choose? Which deaths are you actually responsible for? The five you let die through your inaction or the one you actively kill? Prince Darling crossed his arms and made a victory smirk. The fairy truth said, okay, well, if he was ever in the situation to pull a switch and kill or save people, then they would see which one the ring thought was the more ethical choice. Most people, though, even princes with ridiculous names, don't live their lives swirling in a mire of ethical dilemmas. Knowing the right thing to do often isn't that difficult. It's doing the right thing. The ring would help remind him to do the right thing. Well, I don't need that much reminding, the prince winked as he slipped on the ring. Let's hope not, the fairy said, making to leave. Because if he ignored it and went on his evil way, he would become her enemy. The prince said, what? She promised his dad she would help him, though. And this is me helping. Caring about people doesn't mean you sit by and let them ruin themselves. Hopefully this is not a lesson you learn firsthand. And in a flash, fairy truth was gone. someone tell me once that arrogance isn't arrogance if you can back it up, which is actually kind of arrogant. 
Apparently, the ring agreed with that statement because while, yes, Prince Darling was quite confident in his ability to be good, he barely noticed the ring. In Alan Moore's landmark Batman comic, The Killing Joke, Joker argues that all it takes for people to crack is one truly bad day. That's how far the rest of the world is from Joker. One bad day. Well, Prince Darling had that day, and frankly, not so bad. Like, objectively, not bad. He went out hunting with his buddies and got nothing. Didn't kill a single animal. Such a bummer. It wasn't just a bummer, though. Not for Prince Darling. He seethed as he rode back home, completely ignoring the pricks from the ring on his finger. And this is actually where I think the story is wrong, with getting angry being a moral failing. I think it's okay to be angry. That's natural and human. It's what you do with that anger. If you work through it and use that feeling to make a change, awesome, that's healthy. If, in this story, you get back to your castle and kick your puppy, that's a problem. Prince Darling brushed his puppy aside when he returned. But the puppy had been stuck in the castle all day and wanted to play, so he bit and pulled on Prince Darling's cloak. P.D. was so annoyed by the animal that wanted his love and attention that he turned and launched it with a sharp kick. The ring pricked him so hard, it drew blood. It kept pricking him, too, when he looked down in rage. Really, what was the good of being the ruler of a great kingdom if he wasn't even allowed to beat his own dog? That's a direct quote, by the way. I'm personally not down with that particular train of thought. It made him even angrier that, somewhere, Fairy Truth was laughing at him. I'm not laughing. This is None of this is funny, he heard from his right. Fairy Truth had appeared. She took his hand and wiped the blood. She said he committed three faults. The first was being out of temper, which, not a fault. The second was thinking that all people and animals were only made for his pleasure. Prince Darling looked away. It was true, and it was scary that someone could see the thoughts he hoped to keep hidden. The third was, obviously, his cruelty to the little dog, who didn't deserve to be ill-treated. I'm going to quote this next section directly, because I think it's actually pretty good. I know you are far above a little dog, but if it were right and allowable that great people should ill-treat all who are beneath them, I might at this moment beat you, or kill you, for a fairy is greater than a man. The advantage of possessing a great empire is not to be able to do the evil that one desires, but to do all the good that one possibly can. This connected with Prince Darling, too. He saw how his treatment of the dog, if it went unchecked, could change how he saw his people and his kingdom. He thanked Fairy Truth, and she disappeared. And he never relapsed. The end. Just kidding. We'll see what causes Prince Darling to go off the deep end, but that will be right after this. Work-wise, I consider us to be writers first and foremost. That's the piece we love most. The audio and publishing, though, that was all new. So was opening the shop. The show grew big enough to sell t-shirts and stickers, and making all that happen was yet another learning curve. However, thanks to Shopify... The shop is now, I think, one of the easiest pieces of the puzzle. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from launching your online shop to that first in-person sale, all the way to the did we hit a million orders stage? Whether it's scented soaps you're selling or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and their in-person point-of-sale system. 
Basically, Shopify has you covered. All while helping turn browsers into buyers in a way that lets us focus on what got us into this, which is the writing. On average, Shopify is 36% better at checkout conversion compared to other leading commerce platforms. And that's been key to us being able to have a shop at all. I love this about Shopify. And no matter how big you want to go, Shopify has the tools to help you get there. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash legends, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash legends now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash legends. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've said it before, but it's important to celebrate the things you're doing right, even as we maybe look toward growth in the new year. That's right. It's good to highlight our strengths as well as work toward our goals. The kind that stick, not those extreme resolutions that don't always work. For example, we've been getting more involved in our community. That's something we started doing last year, and we want to keep doing it this year. That gradual and reasonable change that sticks, it's a lot like my experience with therapy. That bringing your strengths to the table and learning new tools to supplement, like setting boundaries. Or how to manage stress. All in a way that empowers me to make real improvements in my life. Working with a licensed therapist is different than talking with a parent or a friend, even a close friend. For me, it brings clarity into my social relationships and enriches them. I'm thankful I took that step. And if you're thinking at all about starting therapy too, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online and designed to be convenient and flexible. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com myths today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash myths. One of the great and terrible things about being human is that we can get used to just about anything, even a ring drawing blood from our finger. Prince Darling wanted to do well, but his father's fears were realized. His advisors weren't looking to help the young man develop into a moral person, but keep their own positions. So if they could encourage an execution to satisfy the young king's rage, or a feast that strained the resources of the kitchen staff in the city, or that he could not only have someone beaten for not bowing or speaking to him obsequiously enough, but he should do it as a way to engender respect from the kingdom, well, they did encourage that. Prince Darling was supported by people who not only didn't care if he was just terrible, but encouraged it because, in his misery, they could step in and be essential. Like a constant, gnawing, chronic ache, the ring continued. And while Petey sometimes changed his behavior to get it to calm down, he mostly lived with it. Until, one day, he decided that he was king. He wasn't merely his father's son, he was a man in his own right and he could make his own decisions and didn't have to live by his father's wishes. This is actually a pretty healthy realization to come to most of the time. But if you're doing it so you can be your worst self, probably worth reconsidering some things. Prince Darling slipped off the ring and, for the first time in months, he was without pain. He could breathe again. In the darkness of his room, he heard the metal tap the stones with a bounce and roll. He was free. Now, you don't go full Caligula. Even in his worst excesses, Prince Darling never went that far. But he did enjoy his wine and feast and the respect that everyone gave him because he would be extremely cruel and degrading to them if he felt the slightest disrespect. You know, normal stuff. 
He also forced out slash imprisoned his former friends and, in his revelry, brought in people who could not only tolerate his excesses, but encouraged them. One morning, while out shooting crossbows at the feet of peasants, Prince Darling paused. Who was that? His friend popped up his head. What? Her? Uh, yeah. His friend thought he could hit her. He leveled his bow. Prince Darling smacked him. No, she was beautiful. He slicked back his hair, leapt from the carriage, and told the driver to circle the block. He was coming back with a wife. The friend and driver did so, but they returned to find Prince Darling not triumphant, but forlorn. The woman was gone. Celia, she, she said no, Prince Darling said. His friend couldn't quite believe it, but Prince Darling continued. She said she would enjoy the money and dresses and carriages, but that Prince Darling was a bad person. That she would grow to hate him, or worse, become like him. So she said no. Also, something about it being way too soon to get married, she knew him all of seven seconds before he popped the question. Prince Darling turned to his friend. Was he a bad person? PD, you know what I see when I look at you? The friend said, putting his arm around Prince Darling. I see a free man. Right and wrong? <laughs> you need to be authentic to yourself. You need to live your truth. And if your truth means shooting crossbows at people until they dance or making nobles eat grass and moo when they pick the wrong fork at dinner, that makes it okay. I don't really think Celia sees it that way. Prince Darling was on the verge of tears. He, he had made a terrible mistake throwing away the ring. He needed to be a better man for her. Wait, really? So you're giving up on all our good times, feasts, fun jokes. Remember when we made that guy go to Finland because he said your castle was too cold? He lost like three toes in the snow. It was hilarious. But this, this changing for a shepherdess. You're a king. I won't tell anyone of this conversation. But once it gets out that even a lowly shepherdess has control over you, what do you think the nobles with land and knights will do? How long before the wolves start to circle? The friend sat back and lowered his voice. Look, it was lonely at the top. But that meant that it was just him. There were dozens more nobles and thousands more people. All power is just an agreement. And once the nobles, or worse, the people, realized that they could opt out, his friend shuddered to think of what could happen. Prince Darling asked what he should do then. He wanted to marry her, but he was not down with, you know... Ugh, that was a bridge too far. Well, you're a better man than me, the friend said with a wink. Petey grimaced at that. But the friend did have a solution. Soften her up a bit. If people don't do what the king said, they should suffer for it. Put her in the dungeon, give her bread and water, and then, when she calms down, tell her that she marries you or she loses her head. The important thing was that the people knew that they existed for the king's pleasure. Prince Darling struggled with the prospect for a bit, but only for a bit. He looked up with resolve. Turn the carriage around. Celia was a tougher nut to crack than anyone thought. She refused even bread and water, preferring to starve rather than marry Prince Darling. 
The friend could see Prince Darling waffling, so they needed a boys' night. They called in some more friends, opened the good wine, and enjoyed themselves. Until the, the crying started. Prince Darling was beside himself with sorrow for Celia. He loved her. He watched her through his secret hole in the cell wall, and he wanted her to love him too. The friends replied that they were just going to say it. He needed to put out an ultimatum. He needed to tell her that he wasn't happy and that some changes needed to happen. Those changes being her marrying him against her will or he would sell her into slavery tomorrow. Prince Darling turned to his friends. That was a great idea. He would go tell her now. He stood. And then didn't. A lot of wine will do that to you. Once he popped back up, though, he found the key in his pocket. The only key to Celia's cell. He was going now. He was going to give her the ultimatum, and he looked around the empty cell, his drinking buddies staggering to the door. Where was she? In the days that followed, the prince ordered a full search of the grounds until, in the end, the guilty party was discovered. Prince Darling's old tutor, the last holdout of camp Don't Be Horrible, had been forced into an early retirement. He, the aged schoolteacher, apparently slipped into the castle and pickpocketed the prince, freed Celia without anyone seeing, and slipped out. In reality, the prince's friends, who held a long memory for grudges, blamed Suleiman, the only one brave enough to denounce the prince for his actions before his banishment. And the prince, livid that someone would defy him so, ordered Suleiman to be chained and brought before him. Servants nodded and rushed to fulfill his orders. And when the door closed to the throne room, he was alone for about 10 seconds. With a familiar flash, he saw her, the fairy truth, hovering before him. Prince Darling laughed. And what did she want? To sap more of his power by restraining him? Fairy truth didn't respond. Her face was severe and unmoving. She raised a palm, and Prince Darling found himself lifted from the ground. I promised your father I would help you. You despised my advice, and you have gone your own way, slowly losing yourself, until you are no longer a man. Fairy Truth saw that Prince Darling was going to open his mouth and refute that, and she continued. You are outwardly a man, but you have become a monster. You are a beast, and everyone you have spoken to knows this. I will make the outside resemble who you really are. Fairy Truth dropped him to the ground. Prince Darling slammed him to the ground and watched his hands warp and turn into claws, wolf paws. He looked up, pleading, trying to say anything, but his voice was a mew, then a roar of a lion. His body was that of a snake, and his head had the horns of a bull. Racked with pain, confusion, and despair, Prince Darling looked up his eyes pleading with fairy truth, who walked forward with a mirror. Look carefully at what your life has wrought, but do not be deceived, fairy truth bent low. Your soul is still a thousand times more hideous than your body. Anguish gave way to fury as he swiped out at her with his claws, but she was gone. She was gone, but again, he was not alone. The doors flew open, and the guards pointed spears at Prince Darling, horrified by the monster in the prince's chambers, and Prince Darling's hide took a few slices as he bounded from the room. 
Shouts and, yes, people, chased him through the city, but more fled from him than sought him, and soon he was in the woods, still running. Prince Darling could ask himself what was happening, but he knew. This was what he deserved. People now saw him for what he was, and all he wanted to do was run away, which he did, until he landed in the pit. What is it? One hunter said to the other, I don't know, man, I just, I just hate my job. Like, our job is to catch bears, tigers, and lions and sell them to rich people. I'm down to, like, four fingers across two hands. When we heard the trap go off this morning, I wasn't like, oh, I hope it's something more dangerous than a bear, lion, or tiger. And then we come and see this, the hunter said. I mean, it looks like it'll sell well, at least. It's a weird cryptid thing. The other tried to console his co-worker. Yeah, it'll, it'll sell really well. The first hunter braced himself for all the scratching and biting. But Prince Darling wasn't feeling manslaughter or really any slaughter. In a figurative pit of self-loathing and a literal pit of dirt, he let the hunters muzzle and bind him. They put him on a leash and took him to the next town. We'll see what happens with Beast Darling, but that will, once again, be right after this. You hear what happened in, in City? In Capital City? The merchant said to the hunters. The prince was eaten by a monster. Good, the hunter mumbled. Literally everyone agreed. PD did a double take. The people kept talking. They, apparently, weren't the only ones that felt that way. The whole capital city was celebrating the death of the prince. It was like Return of the Jedi when the entire galaxy celebrated the death of the emperor, but, you know, no one did anything to actually stand against tyranny. Like, did they all just have the fireworks sitting around in case someone someday stands up to the guy blowing up planets? But not them. They're more than happy to sing and dance around when it happens, though. Anyway, the good people of the castle moved quickly to summarily execute their enemies, and Prince Darling's friends were beheaded without trial. Suleiman, the old tutor, reluctantly took the crown, and Petey could at least take solace in knowing that the kingdom was in good hands. The same could not be said, however, for Prince Darling. He was sold and sold again until he was in the menagerie of a nearby noble. The noble was cool enough, but they never saw him, the man who looked after the dangerous animals was a complete jerk who enjoyed beating animals. So, you know, dream job for him, I guess. Prince Darling saw this as his punishment, though, and quietly accepted that this would be how his days would end. That end, apparently, came a lot faster. When the keeper forgot to latch the tiger's cage, Petey's lion eyes watched the tiger nudge his cage open and start stalking the keeper. And somewhere deep inside... P.D. was glad this guy would get what he deserved, but thought, no, he was different now. He wouldn't repay evil for evil. Just then, his cage opened. When the tiger was dead, and both P.D. and the keeper were panting and bloodied, the keeper turned, sheepishly, to the monster. He said he, he was sorry. He just loved beaten animals. He would stop at least where the monster was concerned. Then, behind them, a voice cried out, A good action should never go unrewarded. And Prince Darling turned into a, quote, 
pretty little dog. The keeper looked at him. Yeah, if if the dog didn't mind, he was going to sell the animal. All this was like unnervingly weird. So that's how the pretty little dog ended up in the palace of the queen. He would have been happy as a pampered little dog had he not remembered what it was like to be a human man. And also had he not been limited to a loaf of bread a day, which feels like a lot to me. Regardless, the dog actually had a lot of freedom and took his indulgent carbo-load lunch down to find a sunny spot on the river. There, he saw a young woman eating grass. He ate grass sometimes. It was a good way to throw up if you ate something you shouldn't have. He knew, though, for multiple reasons, that humans usually don't and shouldn't. P.D. sighed a dog sigh, took his bread between his teeth, and laid it down next to the girl in the grass. She spat out the grass and bit into the bread that had been in the dog's mouth for the past 20 minutes. And she, she was one of the lucky ones. Three or four others had not made it to the grass. They had crawled from the house, gripping at the dirt, and simply fell asleep, emaciated and sunken. They would never wake up. Prince Darling shook his puppy head as he looked up at the house that seemed to be made out of gold and precious jewels. What was this place? From the road, he heard a cry. It was a familiar cry. He had heard it a lot back home, from these cells in the dungeon. It was Celia. I got her from that kingdom in the west. The man with Celia flung over his shoulder, said to the person who opened the door to the mansion, the, one, of, one of the prince's friends betrayed him and sold her to me. They were decapitated in a coup shortly thereafter, and the prince was eaten by a monster. So, okay, that's, that's too much information. I don't need all that. Just say no one's going to come looking for her. Also, you just launched and talking about you? No, oh, wow, it looks nice around here, Jacques. Or thank you for cleaning up the corpses. Great job, the second man said before noticing the first looking at the four corpses outside on the lawn. Those are new. I'm getting to those. Here, let's bring her inside. He looked down with a sneer. Ugh, how'd this beautiful dog get here? He gave Prince Darling a sharp kick in the side, and Petey rolled back to the girl in the grass. Petey sat up. Wow, that's how that felt? That's horrible. His puppy-kicking days were long behind him, but now he was extra done. There was a crash from inside, and shouting. It was Celia's voice again. He could tell because dog hearing was very good, and he was a beautiful dog. The window slid open, and Prince Darling saw something amazing. Table food. Also Celia, but you have to remember he still has a dog brain. She flung the food on the ground before rough hands dragged her away from the window. P.D. felt that, yeah, he should try to help, but he also just gave up his food today to a starving woman and, you know, table food on the ground. He was about to take a big doggy mouthful when he heard a shout. It was the woman he had saved. She told him to stop. The food inside was poison. She was lucky this dog was actually a human and not a regular dog who would have absolutely kept eating and poisoned itself. You see, a good action always brings its reward. A disembodied voice once again shouted. The prince flapped and ascended. Oh, he was a dove now. He guessed this was an upgrade. Then he remembered. Celia. It took him days. But eventually... He made it inside the house. When the doors opened and the captives fled, the dove flapped among the crowd of emaciated people fleeing the house. And not seeing Celia among their numbers, he flew through the house, finding the owners, 
both dead after having been force-fed their own food. And then, at the end of a hallway, he saw Celia, holding something and whispering to herself. She glanced down the hallway and saw, at the last moment, the dove, right before she vanished into smoke. So, why am I here? Celia asked of the desert hermit. That she had asked it every day for the last three months apparently didn't keep her from asking again. She said she had followed the woman's directions to let her, freed the captives, and she had been transported here, to the middle of the desert, and she looked to the sky. That, that dove. The hermit woman smiled. Yes, that dove is really attractive. The smile faded from the hermit woman's face. Wait, what? The dove flew down and landed on Celia's shoulder, rubbing its head on her cheek. I accept the gift you make me of yourself. I will love you always, Celia said. The hermit said that this was going to an uncomfortable, intense place. She did not plan for this. I want to marry this dove, Celia said. The hermit threw off her tattered cloak. She was the fairy truth, okay? This was getting a little too weird. The fairy truth snapped her fingers, and Prince Darling was human once again. I, I could change back into the dove you were so into, though, PD said in the original. It's paraphrased, but Celia was really into the dove. Okay, no, he's, he's not changing back, the fairy truth said. Celia said that it's okay. She could love the human, she supposed. In the end, Prince Darling had put in the work to be a good person, to learn, to grow. It was a lot harder than he thought it would be. But when the fairy truth returned him to his kingdom, he got his throne back from Suleiman, his former tutor, who revealed to him that the fairy truth had informed him that Prince Darling would return. Before she left, fairy truth recovered the ring and gave it back to Prince Darling. It didn't poke him again as long as he lived. Well, not too severely. Nobody's perfect. Now, I didn't mention it at the top of the show because I didn't want to queue up some unwarranted comparisons, but Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont was responsible for perhaps the best-known version of Beauty and the Beast. Not our version with monkey butlers, but she was inspired by that one, to write one that wasn't absolutely ridiculous and which inspired Charles Perrault down the road. Jean-Marie had kind of an exciting life. She and her sisters were sent off to be nuns, but after her education, she took off, saying no thanks to the nun life, and supported herself by her own work before her writing career took off. She married a dancer, but then had the marriage annulled when he was unfaithful, and she did remarry, eventually. She became active in politics and was an educator, and today is remembered as a great writer of the 18th century. I like this one because we see the whole arc of the prince and witness him growing as a person to not just follow the ring, but not even need it because despite enduring terrible things, he's managed to learn and grow. It, kind of an interesting choice to hand wave the love story at the end though. I mean, I kind of get that Celia saw that he was a changed man, but he was also the person that locked her in a dungeon until she said yes to marrying him. And it would be kind of hard to get past that. But I guess love conquers all when the plot demands that love conquers all. Next week, it's Celtic folklore. But if you want over 90 bonus episodes, 
Those are waiting for you on the member feed right now. They're all for less than the price of a sad duck light. A light that looks like a cute cartoon duck that, like the episodes, might make you simultaneously happy and sad. Check out mythpodcast.com slash membership for more info on the membership or find us on Apple Podcasts. The creature this week is Lamia, from Greek myth. Hurt people, hurt people. Zeus, well, he's just bad. He's a bad dude. He had an encounter with Lamia, the queen of Libya. We're not sure if this was consensual or not, really could go either way with Zeus. What we do know was that Hera was not pleased. Rarely is, also not surprising. Either because she couldn't or didn't want to punish Zeus for his role in fathering yet another clutch of demigods, she took it out on said group of demigods, with murder. Also, sadly, nothing surprising there. What was surprising is that you can be so sad that you turn into a monster. Like, not a mean person or you lash out emotionally, but you physically turn into a snake monster, and then you lash out emotionally by lashing out physically with your new claws, which Lamia did. The Lamia did many terrible things, like really gross and terrible and gruesome, but suffice to say, she liked eating children in all their varied forms. As if the first punishment was not enough, Hera came back for seconds and made it so Lamia couldn't even count on the blissful oblivion of sleep to help her forget her lost children. Zeus knew he had to step in and, stretching the definition of the word kindness, he made it so she could take out her eyeballs from her own head. For relief? The best artists have a knack for reinvention. Not me, though. This podcast has stayed functionally identical since episode one almost nine years ago. Anyway, she, though, started as queen and became a seductive monster, preying on young men's desires before consuming them. And then, around the 10th century, she settled into her nursery bogey role, where she lived for about 900 years. She has had a long career, though, because she made an appearance in a Keats poem in the 1800s, in songs by Genesis and Iron Maiden, a Nintendo game, so many paintings from the 19th and 20th centuries, and, apparently, in a 2009 Sam Raimi movie. She must have a great agent. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 